You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Acts 15. There's two verses in the Bible that really unpack for us the awesome reality of the gospel. I think it'd be found in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Where it says, this is two verses that the Christians hold close to our hearts and hold dear to our souls because we realize our salvation is only found in one place. It's not in our efforts, it's in this. It's for by grace we've been saved through faith. This is not our own doing, but it's a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one can boast. Isn't that true? You heard that quoted a lot by believers, haven't you? It's by grace and faith that we're saved. Why do we love that verse so much? Because we realize that in and of ourselves, we've got nothing that we can really offer to God. In and of ourselves, we can't save ourselves. And and this is really one of the core essentials of the Christian faith. And it really sets apart the Christian faith from all the other belief systems in the world. The other belief systems in the world, what do they say? Well, you've got to earn. If you try hard enough, if you do all the right things, hopefully at the end of this life, in the great big cosmic scale of good and bad, hopefully there's more weight on the good than the bad. And if there is, then you have acceptance with God and you get in. And yet that's not at all what our Christian faith says. That, that's, what the, that's what other belief systems say. And, and, and it's vital that we don't forget the essence of our Christian faith. Our Christian faith is sola fide, by faith alone. Sola gratia, by grace alone. It's imperative that we get this as we think about being on mission. How imperative is it? Acts 15 is a whole chapter on, on a debate between the, between the believers, the, those who've been saved by faith, and the Pharisees, the religious people, debating what is it to really be saved? What is it to, to really is it to be saved? And what was happening in the early church was legalism was creeping in. This idea, this idea, what's legalism? This idea that to gain favor with God or improve... To gain favor with God is an external, it's a earn it. And, and what was happening in the church, in the early church, was that this, this idea that if I can look right, if I can say the right things and look the right part, then I'll find my favor with God. And there's this external trying to impress both man and God. And this is a major problem for the church. Because this legalistic mentality creeps into our hearts. And you know what happens? Is our hearts, our own lives get all wrecked. They get all messed up. We start looking at all the things we should be doing instead of simply loving God and surrendering our hearts to God and, letting, and, and looking after the heart and letting God do what he wants to do in us. Creeps into the church. What happens? We start to become a, a church, and the early church was in danger. They start to become a, a church that, that has this mentality that is like this pious, like, like it's faith, but you gotta, but you gotta be like me. You gotta think like me. You gotta do everything. Got to look good on the outside. And legalism is one of Satan's most deadly weapons to ruin a believer and ruin the church. And so Acts 15 simply brings us back to this reality of, of what it is to practice and preach the gospel. If you've been a believer for any length of time, you've come across this legalistic mentality in your, in your, in your interactions with believers. You've come across people who have been, great, you're saved, but, oh, it's by grace and... In fact, if you've been a believer long enough, you might even come across this in your own heart. This judgmental, like, I know they say they're saved by faith, but they're not doing things the way that I think they should. So are they really saved? Come on, you ever been there? All of us. But we miss the essence of the gospel. Guess what happens? Our mission is stopped dead in its tracks. 
The life of Jesus doesn't play out in full power the way that, that God has designed us to. And so it's imperative that we get this message, not just for everybody else, but for our own hearts this morning. And so before we dive into the text, I'm just going to stop and pray because this is, this is an important one. And, and it's so important. I think the enemy does not want us to preach this one. Um, even an hour ago, we were, a couple hours ago, we weren't sure if we are going to have church today because of all the things going on in the background. So I'm convinced, I'm convinced that this is a message that we need to hear. And I, I can't make it happen in my heart or yours. So I'm just going to pray that God would really open our eyes and ears to the reality of your own heart. And the reality of what the true gospel is, that we would get it with all that we have and pursue Jesus. Let me pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the grace of our God. I thank you this morning, God, that you allow us, in, even in our country, the freedom to come and worship you and, and blare the speakers, Lord, the, the, the truth of your name. God, I thank you that we can come and we can open up your word and we can study and we can know and we can see exactly what you have for us. God, our prayer this morning is simple. Together, our prayer this morning is simple. God, remind us again of the awesome reality of the gospel and cause our hearts, every one of us, God, to to understand and to see and to not stray from the simple truths of faith and grace in Jesus Christ. Would you stir us again, Lord, to see you and to know you and to love you and to want to pursue you with all that we have, not trying to earn your favor, but because it's already been accomplished for us on the cross of Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord, and we simply ask that as we open up your word, this would not just be a sermon. This would be the words of the living God jumping into every one of our minds and our hearts that would change us from the inside out. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So chapter 15, we're covering the whole thing. So I will uh, skip some verses today, but I'm not skipping the main points. First thing I want you to write in your notes is this. Uh, the gospel, a message of faith and grace is a title. First thing I want you to write in your notes is this. Faith plus anything equals nothing. Faith plus anything equals nothing. And so if you look at the top of your, of your little subheading here, it says the Jerusalem Council. And so what's happening, I'll just read the first few verses to get the idea of what's happening in this context. Verse, chapter 15, verse 1 spells it out for us. What's going wrong in the church that needs to be corrected? Here's what it is. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, the Gentiles, this. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, get this, you cannot be saved. Unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, so they're like, well, what are you talking about? This isn't the gospel. This isn't what the the, the gospel that we preach is. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by their church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers, get this, some believers who belonged to the party, the Pharisees, the religious zealots, the external people who were so focused on cleaning the outside, they didn't care about the inside. They said this, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. This is a potential for a disaster within the church. This isn't the gospel at all. And so what's, what's really happening here? This is, this is really the scenario. Put it in terms of that you can maybe understand this a little bit more. So the, the, the Jewish people are, are seeing all these Gentiles coming to the faith. And they're, they're okay with that a little bit, but not completely. 
but they're seeing them come and they're like, wow, like you believe in Jesus and you're being filled with the Holy Spirit. This is awesome. Now like here, jump up on this table here. We got a scalpel ready. We got to like make, finish this thing off and make it official. The Gentiles were like, what? I didn't hear that message. Like that wasn't in the brochure for sure. What are you talking about? I, I can get this whole idea of faith in Jesus and repentance and turn from my sin. I, I get that stuff. But, but this whole idea about gaining by losing, I never heard that before. I thought it was about the heart, not another body part. Jews, you got to bear the mark to actually park in the parking lot of God's family, right? And Gentiles going, where did this come from? I was told that you had to have faith and it was by grace. Here's what's going on here. The Jews for centuries had practiced circumcision as a religious rite. The Jewish custom was to remove the foreskin from the males, literally cut around the most sensitive part of the body, not just for health benefits, but as a requirement of the sign of, of covenant between God and all of Abraham's descendants. We see this in Genesis chapter 17. We see it in Acts chapter 7. Even the Mosaic law in Leviticus chapter 12 says, yeah, this is right and this is good for Jewish people. And throughout the centuries, the Jewish people have treated circumcision as a sign. And if, if you're circumcised, you're in. And if you're not, you're out. The problem was, when we come to the New Testament, is that uh, Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. And so Christians are no longer under obligation to the Old Testament law. And so circumcision is no longer required. It says that in, in Galatians 2, Galatians 5, Galatians 6. It says in 1 Corinthians 7. I'm not just like, not just in one place. It says this in, in, in Colossians 2 and Philippians 3. And so there's this, this, this wanting to hold on, wanting to move into the new, but still holding on to the old and, and failing to even recognize so many of the Jews did that even when in the Old Testament, it wasn't just about an outer mark. Even the law acknowledged that circumcision alone was insufficient to please God. It was really a sign of, of really a, of the circumcision of the heart that God was looking for. It says that in Deuteronomy 10, 16 and Romans 2, verse 29. And so... To avoid any confusion of whether it's like an outward thing or an inner thing, the New Testament just like, we don't, we're not doing that anymore. We're just going after the heart. Being right before God, just to make it clear, it's about faith in Jesus Christ. It's about Christ's finished work on the cross that saves, not the observance of an external right. So the New Testament believers got this, but the Old Testament Jews, they, they, they sort of got this. But you know those people that, 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 that just love holding on to tradition in the past? Maybe some of you here. That, that was the Jews. They just couldn't let go. They're, they're okay with the Gentiles coming in to a point. But they also wanted to take on all the Jewish customs and the Jewish law. They struggled to get past this, this idea that the people of God now were going to be like multicultural and diverse. And it's not just going to be about the Jews. It's going to be about whoever God brings to him by faith. And so they became, as you see in this text, this is a... A big debate. There's no small dissension. You ever met a passionate person about something that they've held on to for their whole life and never heard anything different? This is what's happening here. There's, there's no small dissension. They're like, they're like going at each other, arguing full out, like, okay, like, I'm going to win this thing. Why? Not, not because they're trying to be right, but because there's a lot at stake here. Can you imagine if the whole church now goes into this thing about it's exterior, not interior? That's devastating for the movement of God and the true reality of what God wants to do in people's hearts. And so the believers on one side, they're digging their heels in. The Pharisees on the other side are digging their heels in too. And they're not, they're not just trying to disrupt the church because they want to. They're, 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 they're men who mean well, but they're just so steeped in tradition. 
But Peter and Paul and Barnabas and James, as we're going to hear, just convinced that to get into this mindset, we, we're all just going to miss the wonder of Jesus Christ. We're going to miss the true reality of loving God and allowing God to change us from the inside out. And so it can't happen. And then this is going to lead us, lead the church to start sharing something other than what the true gospel is and, and leading people to this place of trying to earn it in exteriors. And, and the, the whole heart of the gospel is just not about that stuff. It's about Christ doing it for you and doing it in you. And so really what's happening here is the church, the Jewish men are really adding to the gospel. They're, they're adding to the message of Jesus. It's faith plus circumcision that equals salvation. Whereas the Bible clearly teaches us faith plus anything else equals nothing at all. You miss the whole point. It's easy, just before we move on, it's easy to get all, look at these guys and like, man, how could they miss it? How do they, how do they miss it? Like, well, what's wrong with these guys? Clearly it's just faith. But, but let's be honest, if we stop to think about our own lives and the churches that we are a part of and maybe been a part of and the churches, even the place we're at right now, isn't it easy to get into this place where it's faith plus something equals salvation? Starting to get to this place in our own hearts where we think that we've got to add a layer of something to increase our spirituality or judge other people according to whether they're in or they're out. I mean, I grew up in the church. I was a part of this kind of mentality forever. It was always a, it was always a, you got to look a certain way, you got to observe a certain day, and you got to do the right thing the right way. That was a part of my life for the first 18 years of my life, and still I feel it sometimes creeping back into my life. I mean, for the first 18 years of my life, I played the game super well. I knew all the things to do, all the times to smile, all the right things to say, and, and my heart was not anywhere near God, but everyone thought that because I looked the part, that I must be the part. You know, I find myself doing sometimes now even, just, just it's easier to look the part than to really deal with the heart, isn't it? And it's easier even to sometimes like look the part and then start judging other people because they're not looking the part the way you think they should look the part. And I'm so spiritual. I got everything on the exterior. It looks so good. You know, I grew up with the, the understanding that maybe a little bit like the Jews, that, you know, they say it had to be circumcision. I grew up with the understanding it had to be clean cut, hair parted on the side, and, and you know, wear your suit on Sunday, carry your Bible, and everything was good. In fact, that's so much the way I grew up. I went to college. My first year I came back from college. I actually got my hair for the first time cut short, like with a razor short. And one of my friend's mom said to me, but I thought you were a good Christian boy. <laughs> I just got my hair cut. <laughs> a little shorter than normal, but like, really? Easy to fall into that, isn't it? Got to look a certain way. You don't look the way I think a Christian should look, so are you really saved? Got a couple tattoos on. What about this one? You got to observe a certain day. You know, I know it's faith, but it's, you got to also observe all the holidays properly, Christmas and Easter and even Sunday, the Sabbath. It's a, it's a matter of how we do this. That's what truly makes you spiritual and saved. And then we buy into this whole, you got to do things the right. This is what the Jewish people were doing. They're no different than us. So before we judge them too quickly, we, we can easily fall into this, right? Oh, I know you say you have faith, but you don't do it the way that I would do it. So I'm really questioning your salvation right now. You don't sing the right songs on Sunday morning. Maybe you don't give a certain amount of money that I think you should be giving that I, you know, dive out of the Old Testament and find. Or maybe you don't read the right version of the Bible. 
Can you be saved? You, you snicker, but I had a guy in the last couple of years ago send me a hate email saying I could not possibly be saved and I was leading people to hell because I wasn't reading the King James Version. I actually got a copy in the mail of which I sent back to him. This mentality. Got to use the right Christian lingo. I know you say it's by faith, but you, you, know, you don't talk like a Christian. Are you serious? Like, you don't even use the Christian lingo. Like, Christianese should be on your lips after you become saved, right? Bless you, love you. Over the talk, spirit, over the top spiritual talk to somehow impress people. And go to the right church, be part of the right denomination. It's important that if we're really going to have a mission that's powerful and effective for Christ in our own hearts and in the hearts of other people, we just got to get this straight. It's faith plus anything equals what? Nothing. But faith plus Jesus equals everything. everything. We, we can't become a pharisaical church like this. Was, this was the big debate. There's a pharisaical, the, the Jewish people being Pharisees. They're looking at the outside and only the outside and forgetting about the inside. We, we can't become that. It's easy to become that. Don't fool yourself. It's easy to become that in our minds and our hearts. A.W. Tozer said this. Even in this generation, it's easy to forget that the gospel message does not clean up or shine up the outside of a person. Rather, it bores into the very heart and soul of a person and radically changes that person from the inside forever. The moment we start thinking like the Jewish Pharisees, the moment we start putting on a good front, taking care of all the externals and letting the internal part of us go to pot, it's the moment we become religious and not true Christ followers. Have you ever caught yourself saying this? It's faith, but a sign that religion is creeping into your heart. And if we're going to cut anything off, we've got to cut off all the religious trappings and get back to the reality of Jesus. Cut off all the religious trappings and get back to the reality of Jesus. It says in, in Romans chapter 3, Verse 28, for we know that one is justified or made right before God by faith apart from the works of the law. By faith apart from the works of the law. The, the works of goodness come in as God changes us, but it's not what, say, they're an overflow of the faith that is within us. That's where salvation happens. In fact, Paul has some pretty strong words for the, the, the Jewish people who are trying to make salvation about all these external things. And, and he says this in Philippians 3, verse, verses 1 and 2. He says, look out for the, what does he call them? He calls them dogs. Evildoers, mutilators of the flesh who, who try and convince you it's about this plus something else. We are the circumcision, he says. What's, what does it mean? Our, our hearts are made right before God when we worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Jesus Christ, putting absolutely no confidence in the flesh or the exterior things. It's not about our family name. It's not about our spiritual accomplishments. It's not even about your so-called passion or zeal. Because Paul says in that passage, he had lots of it. What is it? By sola fide, by faith alone. And sola gratia, through grace alone. Faith plus anything equals nothing. And so this is, the, this, is the, this is the heart of what's going to be debated by these people. And you can see how important it is, right? 
See how important it is that this debate happens and that it takes place and that the right results come. And so, so what happens next is they start, they start lobbying for it. It's not just, it's not just the, the faith part. It's the, it's the grace of God. It's the grace of God that does this. And so the next number of verses, verses 6, uh, right down to verse 18, are about um, the believers now trying to prove that it's grace plus nothing equals everything. It's grace plus nothing that equals everything. And so this is the whole reason for the Jerusalem Council. And so what's, what's happening is they get all the, all the, the who's who of the, the believer's side, the kind of the Christian smarty pants, they get them all on one side, and they get the, the Pharisees, the, the smartest of the Pharisees on the other side, they have this little old-fashioned debate where they're like, okay, let's intellectually, let's duel this thing out. Sometimes debates are good, you know that, right? I'm not a debater myself, I don't prefer debates, I prefer to like stick to like the mission and get going after, but sometimes debates are good. Because we need to solve some of these things. So that's what they're doing. They're, they're lining up on both sides. Uh, Pharisees on one side. And believers on the other. And the giants of the faith trying to prove to the old staunch Jews that, hey, something different is happening now. We're in the New Testament, not the old. And so they, they, they come out with a couple of speeches and, and unpa- to unpack the true reality of salvation. So four guys get up and give four speeches here in the next, from verses 6 to 18, that, that help us understand that salvation is through faith, by grace alone, well, by, by, by only by God, only by God, by nothing we can do. And so first up is Peter. He's never been the one to shy away from a fight, Right? Outside the church, and so he's, he's there, he's ready, so like, let's go. You want to talk? Let's talk. And so he stands up, look what he says. The apostles and the elders are gathered together to consider this matter. It's like, an old, it's like an old-fashioned business meeting, which I also do not like. But this is what it was. And after there had been much debate, finally Peter's like, all right, guys, sit down, I'm going to talk. Brothers, you know what? In the early days, God made a choice among you that by the mouth of the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Remember, guys, that God has said at one point it was always going to be for the Gentiles too. So what he does here is he, this is only a short version of what he said. It's not all that he said. So he goes back, he's like, he recounts a story from 10 years before this. Remember Acts chapter 10? That's 10 years ago now, uh, between Acts 10 and Acts 15. He gets up and he recounts probably like, hey, hey, I was up on the roof one day, Acts 10, and waiting for my lunch, and like this vision from God came, and I was like, what in the world? And then these guys showed up at the house, and I followed them, and I just simply went to this guy Cornelius' house, and I preached the gospel, and guess what happened? You'll never believe what happened. The Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles, just like he did on the, the believers in Acts chapter 2. He fell on the Gentiles, and guess what? They were saved by Jesus Christ. And their hearts in that moment, look what he says, their hearts were cleansed. Here's true salvation. It's, it's God choosing to move in and rearrange hearts. Their hearts were cleansed. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did us. He saved them, not by their religious jargon, not by their customs or through anything else. He cleansed their hearts through faith. He made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. God made it clear it's not about following the law. He's done all this that that we would see that it's, there's something different going on. It's Jesus Christ now. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able, ever able to bear? What he's saying that you, you put this one law on the Gentiles and they all are going to apply. Fellas, Peter's saying, we can't even accomplish, we can't even keep the law perfectly. It was up to us keeping the law. We're done. 
The law is there to show us that we can't keep the law. And so we need to turn to Jesus Christ as our only hope for salvation. You try and strap the law on these guys now, it's like strapping a semi-truck to someone's back and saying, now walk through life with that semi-truck. Even the strongest man in the world can only pull that for 100 feet, then he collapses in exhaustion. Don't be putting that on these people. I love this. I love this, how it gets in here. We believe that we'll be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ just as they will. If we're saved by grace, then surely they're saved by grace too. Look what happens. This is, this is, this is significant. Think of a group of politicians arguing. Was it ever quiet? No. Look at this. And after he said this, this is like the shut the, shut the mouth moment. And all the assembly fell silent and they listened to Bar- Barnabas and Paul. They're like, huh, I got nothing to say to that. So next up, the, t- the terrific twosome, the Hardy Boys, Paul and Barney, get up and, and they say, you want more proof? You want more proof? We just finished coming from a whole season with the Gentiles in which signs and wonders that God had done through them uh, as well as he's done through us. Like, like, like God has changed it all now. It's not about these things that we think it is. We can put all that behind us and move forward. God is doing a new thing. And he did it in the Gentiles. After they finish speaking, James replies, James, this is the brother of Jesus who didn't follow Jesus till after the resurrection. And he's like, my little brother, son of God, whatever. Resurrection's like, it's for real. I'm in. He gets up. Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree. He's like, hey, hey, don't forget, like, we can't even discount the prophets in this whole discussion. They said a long time ago that this was all going to go down. After this, I'll return and rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I'll rebuild its ruins and I'll restore it. Ultimately, that's pointing to the fact that Jesus Christ's death and resurrection and exaltation is the ultimate rebuilding of the line of David. That the remnant of mankind may seek Jesus and that all Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. God said from a long time ago the Gentiles were going to seek God. They're going to be a part of this new covenant, this new community. And all this, all these speeches, you know what they're all about? They're all about just showing that it's the grace of God that saves nothing more, nothing less. Human has no part in that. Just like we had no part in us being born physically. Do you have a part in that? Me neither. I just happened to pop out at the right time. Spiritually, same thing. It's, it's, a, it's an endeavor of God that does this. Salvation has nothing to do with outward appearance or performance or even the doctrines that we hold. Summary of this, the gospel was always for everyone. God proved that through the Holy Spirit. Salvation is ultimately, what is it? It's a cleansed heart. By God's grace alone. God proved this with many signs and wonders and he has spoken and said he'd save the Gentiles, and now he has. And so what this whole thing is, now let's embrace the Gentiles as God has already done. Here's what the whole essence of salvation is according to the Bible from start to finish. As one renowned theologian tells us, the very center and core of the whole Bible is the doctrine of the grace of God. What is grace? Here's what it is. God's unreserved and undeserved favor in Jesus Christ. 
God's undeserved, unreserved and undeserved favor in Jesus Christ for all who repent and believe. Another acrostic for grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. And what have we done to earn it? Nothing. This is so hard for us to get our minds around, isn't it? This whole idea that we have salvation that's a free gift of God only by just choosing to trust and believe and, and surrender ourselves to Christ. Isn't that hard to, isn't it hard to grasp sometimes? It's so hard for us to grasp. We're so used to like, well, uh, I'm going to get something from you. I'm going to repay you. I'm going to show you that I'm grateful. I'm going to, right, right? And it's simply this. It's by faith alone and grace alone. I mean, the, the, one of the biggest gifts I've ever gotten in my life, I realize that it plays out in my heart in the same way that I think salvation does in my heart. And a number of years ago, as I've told you, we spent a lot of time in the hospital with our daughter. And, and uh, during the first part of that season, it was very difficult and hadn't worked in a little while. And, and money was getting tight and you're paying for hospital parking and paying for food uh, everywhere. And you're running around the world and, and it was getting tight and I was getting stressed and I was getting worried, not just about our daughter, but about finance and all this stuff. And, and one day while we're at the hospital with Maya, both Ruth and I were there all day in a, in a very serious moment with her life. Um, Somebody that we really didn't know that well had heard of all this. He stopped by our house, and my mother-in-law was looking after our son, and he gave her an envelope for us with a stack of bills that was about this thick. And we got home exhausted from the day, and how's your day? She's like, this nice man. I don't know who he was. He stopped by. His wife was with him, and he, he gave this for you, and I opened it up, and I was just, it was, I think it was like eight or 900 bucks cash. And I was like, well, who is this? And she's trying to describe him to me. And so I'm doing all my, my sleuth work to figure out who this was so that I could somehow thank him and repay him. And, and I'm the whole time I'm like, but I don't, I, I, I don't deserve this. There's got to be people worse. You know what I mean? The whole trying to, I'll pay you back. Like, I'll thank you for, like, I'll do it. Like, how can I show you I'm thankful? Like, I really don't deserve it. You should have given it to somebody else. And that whole, and he's like, he's like, stop, stop, stop. And I finally got a hold of him. He's like, stop. It's just a gift. Just accept it. And be blessed by it. I almost, didn't, I almost didn't know how just to accept a gift and be blessed by it of that magnitude. Because that point in my life, I wasn't making enough to pay him 800 bucks back anytime soon. So my mind automatically went to like, what do I got to do? What do I got to do? What do I got to do? I think that our minds go to the same place as salvation. It's not monetary riches that God gives us. It's, it's a riches far, it's spiritual riches, far greater than that. But he gives us Jesus Christ, and with him comes all these spiritual riches, and our minds generally go to, like, thank you, God, now I'm gonna. Well, God, now you're gonna just accept the gift. And love me, Jesus says, for the gift that I give you, which is salvation. Grace alone. Are you still on that page in your Christian life? Grace alone? I think a lot of Christians start there. Year after year, these, these layers build up, these layers build up, these layers build up of grace alone, and, 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 and. You know what this is? This is just a freeing truth for those in this room even who think that, you know what, I could never, ever please God on my own. Guess what? You can't. But guess what salvation is? It's a free gift of grace. It's a free gift of God saying, I see you in your plight. Your sin has separated me from you. And there's nothing you can do to change it. You can't please me by keeping all the law. It's impossible for any man. Only one person has done that, Jesus Christ. And all I want to do is offer you the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. You just need to, by 
accept my grace and by faith turn to Jesus. This is the greatest gift you'll ever get in your life. Like, like 800 bucks, who cares? This is, this is eternal life. This is the life of Christ in us right now. All the spiritual blessings through Jesus Christ. This is a freeing moment for those of us who are somehow moved on from grace. We can never move on from the simple grace of Jesus. This is a freeing moment for those of us type A personalities who are always feeling guilty that we don't measure up and always think there's another hoop to jump through to be pleasing towards God. And if only I could, if only I could, if only you could stop and accept the grace of God in your life through Jesus Christ. I'm preaching to the preacher on this one. There's no hoops to jump through for salvation. Okay, I believe, now I got it. There's no hoops to jump through. Here's, here's how salvation goes. God puts us in front of a door, and he says, this is the one, walk through it. And you walk through it, by faith you'll see Jesus. Here's, here's the, the only thing that God asks of us, it's not hoops to jump through, it's simply this, it's see your sin for what it is. Look at all the things that the law was and see how far, far short you fall of that. See your sin, and when you see your sin, you're like, I can't do that. Exactly, seek Jesus. Cultivate a relationship with Jesus, not a religion of, of do, do, do. We're, we're not human doings, we're human beings. Be in fellowship with Jesus. Surrender to his authority and his word, and allow the Holy Spirit to take over your life and make you more like himself through sanctification. That is salvation right there. We need to get this in our hearts. We also need to be proclaiming this to those around us. Salvation, faith, and grace. After all these speeches are done, they're like convincing, compelling. Let's drop this whole circumcision circumcision thing. And let's just encourage them to live in freedom, but in their freedom to, to not forget that we don't just want the Jews burdening the Gentiles. We also don't want the Gentiles burdening the Jews with their newfound freedom in Christ. And so look what, look what comes next. It's, it's, here's, here's what freedom is. They're all, they're all equations today just to kind of keep it uniform. Here's the next point. Freedom equals living in consideration of others. Verses 19 to 21. So after this whole council goes, we don't know how long it was or how many days. If it was anything like a church business meeting, it was a long time and it was hard and it was hot and it was ugly. And yet good conclusions came, right? Verse 19. So James still talking. Therefore, my judgment is this, that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. Just, just tell them to turn to God. Just tell them to turn to God. But, but get this. But we should write to them and, and tell them these four things. Do not abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him. For he, he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. A little confusing. Let me explain this to you. You'd think, you'd think they'd be like, well, there's no more rules, man. Like, there's no more rules. Like, I just tell them to love Jesus and do whatever they want. That's not the case, right? There's, there's still things that God wants us to abide by. We clearly see in Scripture, New Testament, almost in every book, there's still some things we live by. Not to earn favor on the externals, but in our hearts, we want to live in, in, to honor God. But this is even going beyond that. This is, this is telling, the, here's, what he's, here's basically what he's telling the, the Gentiles. So tell them to, like, forget about the, 
scalpel stuff. They're like, woohoo, we're in. But just encourage them with this. Live in a way that you're not also causing the, just like we don't want the Jews causing you stress, live in a way you don't cause the Jews undue stress as they try to live out their faith. All these things here aren't like, okay, these are the four things now that we have to live by if we're going to be Gentile Christians. That's not it. Well, really what he's saying is, is be respectful of the Jewish people who are also trying to figure out their faith in the new covenant in a way that's not going to burden them or cause some to stumble or some to fall away from coming to Jesus. The, the law is still being preached every Sunday in the synagogue. That's what he's saying here. And if you go out now and you start like eating food contained to idols, the Jews are going to get all bent out of shape and you're going to cause them to lose focus on Jesus and the mission. And you go out and start living, living like the, the, the Gentile pagan worship, and what's going to happen is the Jews aren't going to be able to handle that, and it's going to cause turmoil. You go out and start eating what strangled them from blood and, and breaking all the Jewish dietary laws, and they're going to be stressed about that stuff. So live by faith in grace, but also live in a way and that you're not causing your other fellow believers, if they're convicted about something that you're not, not causing them to be... To get all in angst about these things and putting burden on them. Let me help you understand quickly what, what each of these things, the significance of each of these things. Things contaminated by idols. Here's what it refers to. In, in the Bible days, the food, food was offered to pagan gods and then sold in temp, temple butcher shops. And so they're offering this food to, to pagan gods and then selling it. And so the Jewish people were clearly understood that in the Old Testament over and over, like, don't do anything associated with idols. Don't do anything associated with idols, especially pagan idolatry. And so they were, like, really sensitive to this, and they watched their family members from generations past fall into this uh, worshiping idols, worshiping idols. So they're like, we're just going to stay away from that. And, and it even, even tells them to stay away from that in the Old Testament. And so if the Jewish people now are seeing the Gentiles live in freedom, it's just going to, it's so ingrained in them. That's not what they're supposed to do. It's just going to mess them up and mess up their faith. When it comes to immorality, we get that. Every one of us is called to live in purity. The Bible tells us over and over, but this is going, this is going a little bit beyond just the, the simple, the, the, you know, obviously we don't sleep with each other's wives and we, we wait till we're married and all those things and, and clearly biblical. But this is going beyond that. He's saying like, there's a whole lot of things in Leviticus 17 and 18 of, 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 of laws that are built around, that are built around um, Jewish rules to marry and intermarry and all that stuff. Just, just don't get into all the immorality or the, the Jewish laws that are... Just stay away from that stuff. In all, their, in all your marriage relations and conduct of the opposite sex, just, just be pure and holy before God and, and, and don't get into all the things that are going to mess the Jews up with all their old laws. And even to stay away from what's strangled and, and from blood, it's the, the Jewish dietary laws. Well, he's not imposing these laws on Gentile believers. He's saying, but live with the Jewish brothers in an understanding way that would enhance your fellowship and not take away from it. It's really the same message we get in Romans chapter 14 when it says to respect the weaker brother. In Romans 14, it says, don't judge each other or let your freedoms cause each other to stumble. Don't put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Whether it's what they eat or what day they celebrate as the Sabbath, like as long as you're convinced in your own heart, like do what's right in your own heart, but but also be considerate of everyone else. This is just simply the, the second greatest commandment, right? To to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
If you don't expect the Jews to cause you burden, don't cause the Jews burden by getting into some of these things. Once we're a Christian, we don't operate like the world anymore. world says, I have my rights. I only think of me. And if I'm right to be free, I'm right to be free. Right? I'm right. I'm right to be free. I got my rights. Christianity says, when I come to Christ, I set aside my rights and think of others for the benefit of all. Again, if we could only get this in our minds and hearts. Clearly, where the Bible is clear on morality, we stand on it. Well, where it's not, here's what we do. We let it go. Not every believer has to think exactly the same way you think and interact with God in the exact same way you interact with God. If, for example, the Sabbath was one of the things that was binding on New Testament, they would have said it in this passage, and they don't. I think there's a whole lot of things we bring into the equation of gotta, gotta, gotta. And God's like, there's some areas of, in the Christian body, of diversity and understanding. And it's okay if people exercise their faith in a different way than you do. Just be convinced in your own mind. And don't go against your own conscience. And when you come up against other believers who maybe not agree with you on this, don't make a debate out of all the little minor things. Don't, don't fight it out. Just be in agreement that you can exercise your faith this way and I'll exercise it this way because we're not going against any biblical truths. You know what I'm saying? Are you with me on this? How much fighting could be saved in the church just by getting this simple concept? Things that take us off the mission of Jesus. Again, not talking about the clear sin that's talking in Scripture. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the gray areas that we're convinced of, so everybody else has to be convinced of them too, because I am. Let me list some of the gray areas for you. There's a lot of them. These aren't an exhaustive list, just some of them. Drinking and dating and kissing and clothing and music and movies and television and birth control and dancing and spending your money and homeschooling and working moms and all these things that we get so convinced of that everybody else has to or else, man, there's not as good of a Christian as I am. So that's the letter back. You're free. Now live your freedom in a way that's not going to mess up this whole Christian community thing is really the message. So what they do next is they go and they take, come to this conclusion. Freedom, just live in consideration of others. Verse 22, it seemed good to the apostles and the elders. This is a good conclusion, right? Saw it and prayed and the whole church. They chose a couple men to go with them to Antioch, to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Let's, let's take Paul and Barnabas and the two guys that have risked their lives for the Lord and let's send them. They, they, they get it. They, they want nothing more than the gospel to go forward. So they sent a couple guys with them, uh, Judas and Barsabas and Silas. And Verse 24, they get there and they say, since we've heard that some person gone out of us, they, they're troubling you with words and unsettling your minds and and Although we gave them no instructions, it seemed good to us having come in to one accord. See how, see how important the unity of the body of believers is here? It's, it's so important. They're not sending this message snail mail. They're like they're delivering it hand delivery by their two best guys. Because if they're not all on the same page, you know what's going to happen? Everything's done. The unity of the church is vitally important in the New Testament. It's like trying to go out and row with a 10-man rowing crew and everyone row in different directions. Is it going to work? Not going to go anywhere. And so they go take this letter and, and they give them the, the goods. That's what the next is. Basically, this repeat of what they already decided. And so 
was, this was good. It says, verse 28, to the Holy Spirit, to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. Just keep yourself from these things and you'll do well, it says. You'll do well. And then, farewell. See you later. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And they read it and they get this. The people rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And, and there's this moment of rejoicing. There's this moment of, of, ah, I'm so glad that whole like scalpel thing is behind us. Now we can truly just love Jesus and live in the freedom he's given us. Here's what I want to say last as we end this, this whole sermon, chapter 15. I really want to say this. Salvation is to be a joy and not a burden. See the words that are here? I love how that ends. It's, it's, it's so angst. Their, their minds, it says here, are, are, are so unsettled. Their hearts are troubled. And, and this, this sense of like, oh, what do we got to do next? Oh, no, I got I to gotta do it perfect. I got to do it right. And, and yet, was that supposed to be salvation? What's salvation supposed to be? It's supposed to be freedom. Not freedom to walk in sin, but freedom to just enjoy God and walk in his ways. That's salvation. And so at the end of this, their, their joy rejoice. There's a little party. They read it. They rejoice. There's encouragement. They're, yeah, welcome to the family. You can park your car in this parking lot anytime. We, we're so thankful for you. It doesn't matter about the inside, the, the outside. The inside's been changed. And they're strengthening the brothers. And there's a little uh, powwow going on of just like back to the reality of what the true gospel is. Here's the bottom line of Acts chapter 15. Following Jesus isn't supposed to be a drag. It's not supposed to be a tight walk rope across the Niagara Falls. If I take one step left, one step right, I fall off and I'm dead forever. God's, it's not supposed to be the Christian faith. What's the Christian faith supposed to be? A, a, a joy. Why do we worship with all of our hearts? Because it's a joy to know that I am forgiven, not by my own merit, but by God's merit in Jesus Christ. And now I can live in the freedom of knowing that, yes, I strive to love God and follow him and follow his commands for sure, but knowing that I can never do that perfectly. And God doesn't expect me to do that perfectly. That's why he gave me Jesus. And so when I fall down, I can still rejoice that God's going to get me back up. When I mess up, I can ask for forgiveness and keep going in the grace of God. This is what salvation, salvation is supposed to be, a joyous party, not a, a, a fearful angst of not walking my way through life, expecting this great big cosmic spanking. Every time I do one little thing wrong, that's not the Christian faith. The Christian faith is by faith alone. In Jesus Christ, by his grace. I trust that we need to be reminded of this today. I said it a couple times already that I can even feel my heart many weeks going in a different direction than this. Even my own self being burdened. I messed up again today. Oh man, I suck as a Christian. I'm so bad. I, I do suck as a Christian. I want to be honest with you guys. Right from the front, I'll say it. Your pastor stinks of being a Christian some days. And the outside looks a whole lot better than the inside on many days. But guess what? God loves us anyways. Jesus died for those days. And now I can just get up every morning and I can just preach the gospel to myself. Not a matter of like, today I got to do it perfect. It's, today I am free to love Jesus and to pursue him because of my faith 
in his son. Some of you are like me. You need to hear this again. You need to hear this again. You've gotten to this place of trying so hard, so hard, so hard, and judging everybody else for what they're not doing, what they're not doing, what they're not doing, what they should be doing, and every decision. Ugh, stop. And get back to the reality that it's by faith in God through the grace of Jesus Christ. And be free. Be free again today to live the gospel and share this message. This is the message people want to hear. This is the message people need to hear. Not, not, not you got to do all this, do this, do this, do that. It's God has redeemed you and saved you in Jesus Christ. And he will clean you up. And he will make your path go where he needs you to go. Maybe some of you here have, need to hear this for the first time. You've been, you've been a religious zealot your whole lives. And you've been, you've been cleaning the cup on the outside and cleaning the cup on the outside. And you're discouraged and you're frustrated. You, you know the inside doesn't match the outside. And, and yet you're so convinced that as long as you look good on the outside, nothing else matters. As long as you can convince everybody else, and maybe even God too one day, you'll convince them that you're not so bad after all. There's no salvation there. There's no joy there. There's no freedom there. Salvation is God. Even no matter what my outside looks like, I'm lost without Jesus Christ. I have no hope of ever being good before you without Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today and you've been religious for a long time. You've gone to church religiously for a long time, but you've never truly stopped and said, God, I need you to change me inside out. I need true salvation for my sins. Today's a good day to do that as God brings us back to the reality of what the gospel message, the gospel mission is. And some of you know this and are living this and loving this and fighting for this. I just say, keep going, keep going, keep going. Don't give up. Don't give up pursuing the things that matter most in Jesus Christ. And keep preaching to yourself the message of the gospel every single day. Where does the message start? Right here. We don't get it here. It's not going to go anywhere else. The proper one right here. And let's be an authentic church. Let's be a church that gets this and believes this and lives this. Let's be done with the charades, done with the outsides. Let's together pursue as messy Christians. We're sometimes messy, aren't we? As messy Christians, the full reality of the gospel, that's where the light shines on Jesus the brightest. Let me pray. Thank you, Father, for the reality of the gospel. Oh God, would you help us see the grace of our Father clearly today in a fresh way, in a new way. Bring us, Lord, to a place of humble worship to you for all that you are and all that you've done for us. God, I pray you'd give us faith. Even in this moment now, give us faith for those who have never put their faith truly in Jesus, still trying to figure it out on their own, never put their faith in Jesus. Oh God, would today be the day that they stop trying and stop the exterior, stop trying to earn your salvation, God, their salvation, and simply say, I can't do it, I need Jesus. Oh God, would you give saving faith today? Would you give sustaining faith today for those who are believers, God, who are straying from this and need to get back to this? For those who are believers who are, who are living this and fighting this, would you give sustaining faith today, God, just to simply go back to the pure basis of the gospel? It's what makes you so amazing compared to every other religion on this planet. Would you help us, Lord, live today? Eyes fixed on you, basking in the depth of the pool of the grace of our God. Lord, we know we don't deserve an ounce of salvation for a second. But yet in your mercy, you've given it to us. How can we repay you? We can't. But we sure can worship you, Lord. May we do so now as we sing this last song in Jesus' name.